0: The following message was recorded at Bethlehem Baptist Church in Minneapolis, Minnesota. More information can be found online at Bethlehem.Church. Let's pray together. Father in heaven, as we've been walking through Colossians, we've joined the Apostle Paul in giving thanks to you for your grace at work in and among us in the church And we've joined the Apostle in praying that you'd give us wisdom to walk in a manner worthy of our calling, pleasing to you. And and we've joined Paul in praying that you would grant us grace for every kind of good work, that we'd continue to grow in our knowledge of you, and that we'd have power for all endurance and all patience with joy giving thanks to you for the salvation that's ours in Christ. And and last week, we we just meditated on this glorious hymn, this beautiful depiction of Christ as our all, supreme and preeminent over all creation, creating and sustaining all things, head of the church, firstborn from the dead and reconciling all things to himself through his death on the cross. I pray that that you are rooting us in the sufficiency of Christ, the enoughness of Jesus as a people, and that you're making us strong. By your grace and by your word, by the work of your spirit, that you're making us strong. So I pray that you continue to do that this morning as we take another piece of Colossians 1. Meet us by your spirit in your word, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, now in our text Paul directs the believers to remember who they were apart from Christ and then he encourages them to continue to live by faith in Christ and so therefore my aim is the same that my aim is that I by this message would prompt you to remember who you are and what you would be apart from being reconciled to Christ. And then number two, prompt you to continue believing, continue in the faith, continue in the gospel all the way to glory. So that's where we're going. I have an outline. It's a little goofy outline. It's really two outlines. So outline number one, this before, after that Paul speaks of in in verse 21, in the beginning of 22. Point number one, before, namely, you were alienated from God. And then point number two would be, well, after, now, Christ has reconciled you. So that's the first set. And then the other set is Paul drills into this reconciliation and and he, he, he focuses in on two aspects of it. The first aspect that he focuses in on is the purpose of this reconciliation that's ours in Christ. And the second thing he focuses on is the condition of the reconciliation that we have in Christ. So I hope that didn't confuse you. We're going to do the first set right now. Point number one, before... Christ, and point number two, after. Number one, before, you were once alienated, verse 21, and you who were once, who once were alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds. I mean, you think, why does Paul do that, you know? You know, you were apart from Christ, you were, you know, something that they already know, right? Maybe they just take for granted. Well, if, well, I'm in Christ right now. But he wants them to stop and think back to what they were apart from Christ. And, you know, I feel this with communion every time we, we participate in the Lord's Supper. You know, do this in remembrance of me. I mean, remembering is a solid biblical act of worship. And so Paul's angle here is remember what you were apart from Christ. And the focus at the table will be remember all that Jesus has done for us. Just remembering is a good thing. And and so he, he, he picks these, you know, this one word and these two additional phrases. So three things he tells us about our spiritual condition apart from Christ. Number one, you were alienated. Alienated. Second thing, you were hostile in mind. And third thing, we were doing evil deeds. So first one, alienated. We're, we're separated from God. And, and it's not a momentary estrangement. It's, it's a state of alienation that we were born into because of original sin. I, mean, I just started thinking about alienation and how awful it is. I mean, in, in the, on the human sphere, we know it. Uh, in relationships with other people, Alienation, uh, separation of people, divorce, broken families, broken friendships, divisions between loved ones, neighbors who won't speak to each other, co-workers likewise. Alienation splits churches, splits Christians. In social media terms, it would be uh, being deleted, being unfriended, being removed from the group. Alienation, er- irreconcilable differences, turn away. I mean, in its wake is isolation and alienation is an ugly thing, and it's it's ugly in the human sphere and oh so much more in the vertical sphere, in our relationship with God. On the human sphere, it's alienation between sinners. Always. In the vertical sphere, it's not that God has sinned. We've sinned. Our sin has alienated us from God, and that sin is deep in our DNA, in our roots, as I said, from our first parents we were by nature children of wrath. God's anger upon us as sinners. Now, lest we try to dodge that a little, I just think it's interesting that he says, Remember, you were alienated. Hostile in mind. It's an interesting phrase, isn't it? Hostile in mind. I mean, a hostile mind could start throwing things and could start throwing punches, but it might not. Hostile in mind. Our mindset was opposed to God. Our mindset. Romans 8, 7 is helpful. For the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God. For it does not submit to God's law. Indeed it cannot. So it's helpful. It's hostile to God. We we don't want God hostile in mind. Like God, we, we don't want your interference, oversight. We it's so it's duplicitous. We'll take your kindnesses. We'll take your rain. We'll take the gift of life. We'll take the breath you give us. We'll take But we don't want you. And then the other piece that's helpful from Romans 7, this, this mind does not submit to God's law. So hostile in mind means, Lord... I don't want your expectations. I don't want your word. I don't want your commands. I don't want your gospel. I don't want it. I'm fine without you. Hostile in mind. Third, it all flows together. You were doing evil deeds. Alienated, hostile in mind pushing off God, of course, doing evil deeds. We did what we wanted to do, and what we wanted to do was not what God wanted us to do, evil deeds. No obeying Christ, no humbling before him, no regard for his will. We love the darkness rather than the light. That's how Jesus describes people who don't come to him. So Paul, Paul's, Paul's doing this for the strengthening of our faith. Remember. Remember that. You know, I thought about, yeah, maybe somebody's made a movie or written a book. You know, like, oh, you know, I I did think of this. Um, It's a Wonderful Life, the movie. You know, um, what's his name? Bailey. What's his first name? George Bailey. Yeah, thank you. Uh, George Bailey. You know, like, the, the deal is what would that town be like without him? And it's this reflection. He kind of says, oh, I, I made a difference. Well, you have to turn that aside. Okay, what, the movie would be, I'll own it. What would my life be like apart from Christ? I mean, not just before Christ, I, I became a believer at 15. But what would my life be like without Christ? To, to live apart from grace, separated from God and his wrath on me and hostile in mind and selfish and prideful, cut off from the promises which I so rely on to live. I'd never, I mean, my whole life would be different. My wife wouldn't have married me. Hopeless, alone in the world, without God, without Christ, without grace. Paul says, remember that. Do you see what he's doing? I just don't want you to miss it. It's like, don't stay there, <laughs> but just remember how good you have it in the gospel, and in God's grace. That's what he's doing. After this is the but now, ah, point number two, verse twenty-two. But now he has he has now reconciled you in his body of flesh, by his death. Once you were alienated, but now he has reconciled you. This is the gospel. This is the gospel. Now he has reconciled you to God and to himself by his death. You are no longer alienated. Praise God. Amen? Amen. (laughs) Praise God. While we were enemies... We were reconciled to God by the death of his son. It's all by Christ's death for us. So this is the beauty of the gospel. Um, Jesus Christ, pure and spotless, took our sins upon himself so that we might become the righteousness of God. He was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. And the punishment that brought us peace, reconciliation, was upon him. I'm so glad we're celebrating the Lord's Supper today. It's to celebrate the death of Christ for us by which he has reconciled us. God's wrath has been removed by the death of Christ. Our hostility in mind has been replaced by peace with God. It's been overcome by the gospel, the promise of the the news and the love of God. And our rebellion and our hard-heartedness has been overcome by the promise of the new covenant, the work of the Holy Spirit within us. I, I so love the description, taking out our heart of stone putting in a heart of flesh and by the power of the Holy Spirit causing us to walk in his ways. Not pursuing evil deeds as if that's our passion, but fighting the fight of faith to live in accord with our new nature within. That's the before and after look. And, uh, and now, you're once alienated Now you're reconciled. But then now, now Paul zooms in on two aspects of this reconciliation. The purpose of the reconciliation. And then the condition of the reconciliation. Two aspects. Number one, the purpose of reconciliation. It's there in the second part of verse 22. Christ has reconciled us in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him. Holy, set apart for God from all that is secular, common and sinful, blameless, without sin, perfect before Christ, before before God with the righteousness of Christ. Above reproach, no charge of sin is going to stick. Holy, blameless, and above reproach. Why did he reconcile us? To present us before himself this way, holy, blameless, and above reproach. Now, this this presentation of you as a believer, the church, is, is part of the big plan and purpose of God in the gospel. It's part. It's big. That's what was landing on me. This is big. Just put a few verses before you. I mean, this is not an afterthought. Ephesians one four. He chose us in Him before the foundation of the world that we should be holy and blameless before Him. He. The Bible is chock full of promises. Whereby God tells us that He will, He is working to make sure that we continue in faith so that this happens. That's so what's new about the new covenant. He's working in us to preserve our faith so that this happens, this presentation happens. One verse. Uh, there's a bunch. 1 Corinthians 1 8. He will sustain you to the end guiltless in the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. Another one. It's so interesting. I I, I landed on some of these benedictions. I love benedictions. I don't know if you can tell that when I do the benedictions. I love these benedictions. Full of hope and promise of God's keeping and preserving our faith in Christ all the way to the end. Here's here's, uh, 1 Thessalonians 5, 23. Just listen, listen for this presentation of blamelessness. Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely. May your whole spirit, soul, and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. I love the kicker here. He who calls you is faithful, and he will do it. Fret not. Rest your faith on him and his promises. Remember, it's not up there. The the theme, sufficiency of Christ. Do you see sufficiency of Christ in this? The enoughness of Jesus to reconcile us, redeem us, and gather us to himself forever. Let's not move on without seeing these two little words at the end of verse 23. Before him, before him. Just these, these great little words. This little phrase, before him. Before him. What a wonderful thing. You know. So, remember Adam and Eve in the garden, they sin, and what is the first thing they do? They run, they lie, they hide. This is the opposite. Remember in old weddings? Old weddings. I mean, this is probably before my time for most of these. Um, the, the, the bride would come down the aisle, and she'd have this veil on. And um, at, at this particular moment in the, in the wedding, uh, the, the veil would come off as if she was being presented to her groom face to face, precious love. That's the impression I get here with before him. Christ has reconciled us by his blood In order to present us, believers, you and me, the church, before him, holy, blameless, without reproach, eye to eye. He's not turning away from us. The wrath of God has been removed. He is leaning in. And you know what? We're not running. We belong with him. Reconciled forever, spotless, clean, before him. How can this be? You know, how how can this be? Well, because Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word that he might present the church to himself, here it is, in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that she might be holy and without blemish, in love. Christ did that. So, our reconciliation is owing to the love of God, the love of Christ, and His grace for us. Apart from Christ, we were alienated, but now we have been reconciled to, to Christ and to God that He might present us to Himself, Christ, holy and blameless in His sight. This is the gospel. This is our reconciliation. This is our sufficient Christ. Now, there's one more thing that Paul says about the reconciliation. It's the condition of reconciliation. You see that there? It's the if that begins the clause in verse 23. It's an if-then statement. I'll read from verse 22. He has now reconciled in his body of flesh, by his death, us, in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him, if indeed you continue in the faith, stable and steadfast, not shifting from the hope of the gospel that you heard. So, in other words, Christ has reconciled you, past tense, If you continue, present tense, in your faith. It's an interesting sentence. I'm going to turn it backwards now. Those who continue in the faith, present tense, are those who have been reconciled to Christ. I'll say that one again. Those who continue in the faith, present tense, are those who have been, past tense, reconciled to Christ. Now, I'm going to say a few things here because everybody's different. You know, that's the thing about speaking to a group of people. Very different from counseling where you have one person in front of you and you kind of can aim what you're saying. Um, let, me, let me highlight some aspects of the gospel and then I'll, I'll zero more in on particular people. But I know this verse can shake Shake people in different ways, some good and some bad. Just let me highlight some of the aspects of the gospel underneath this. It, it, I hope it doesn't come as a shock to you that our reconciliation is conditional. The gospel is conditional. What's the condition of the gospel? Faith. Faith. John three sixteen. For God so loved the world that he gave his. Only son that whoever believes in him will have eternal life. It's all over the Bible. Faith, faith. The gospel is the news of salvation offered to all with one condition faith, belief in Christ. Second point. This is just background underneath this verse. That faith that you have, by which you've been saved, I'm talking to believers. Is a gift. And it's not yours. It was given you by God. Ephesians two eight and nine. By grace you've been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works that any one may boast. The condition of salvation is faith that any one of us believes is owing to the gift of God, the faith that God has given us, not that we have earned or achieved. Or that gift of saving faith is given, according to the New Testament, to a particular people chosen by God's free grace and sovereignty and love. I'll, I'll give you a survey. They're called the elect, Romans 8, 33 and eleven 7. They're called the chosen race, 1 Peter 1, 9. There are people chosen in Christ before the foundation of the world, predestined in love for adoption, Ephesians 1, 5. These people, these elect, these, these people set apart by God's grace, are the the church for whom Christ died. Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. They are the sheep for whom Christ, the good shepherd, laid down his life in John 10. in fact, when pressed by those who don't believe in Jesus, you you know what Jesus said? He said, well, you do not believe because you're not among my sheep. I say this to highlight the miracle of the gift of faith and give God all praise and glory and honor for the fact that you believe right now. And and also to give hope for anyone who doesn't believe. I can't find it in myself to believe. Great. Ask God for the gift find yourself to be destined from before the foundation of the world to receive the gift and believe and receive Christ and know that the gospel is yours. One more statement now. It's about this, the nature of this saving faith. All believers, given the gift of saving faith, will persevere unto the end. Will continue in the faith until the end. It it is in the nature of this saving faith that Christ has given us. Couple verses: John ten twenty seven. Back in the the Good Shepherd passage, Jesus says, "My sheep hear my voice." I know them and they follow me. I can stop right there. My sheep believe when I speak to them. My sheep hear my voice. I know them and they follow me. I give them eternal life and they shall never perish. No one will snatch them out of my hand. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all and no one is able to snatch them out of my Father's hand. Philippians one six, he who began a good work in you, will bring it on to completion at the day of Christ. First Peter one. I, I, I read this so that you notice that Peter praises God for this imperishable inheritance that we have in heaven kept for us, and then he has this great phrase about God working to preserve our faith to the end in order to receive it. Here it is. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, according, according to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you, who? Well, kept in heaven for you who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. Praise God for his saving grace to us by which he has caused us to believe, receive Christ's uh, given us the gift of faith according to his plan and purpose and implicit in saving faith is his keeping to the end. So I, I want that rock to be underneath us before I press into particular individuals. Now, th- this is when it, it the sermon felt like it shifted to, to counseling almost. Or you know, it's very. I felt I'm a pastor. It's just like, so how, how? What do I say when I, I know a conditional verse like this, lands on people in different ways? Let me say a few things. If you're an unbeliever, a verse like this, ought to cause you. I hope to see yourself as outside of the gospel, outside of grace. It was one of the best things that happened to me before I became a believer. I realized I've been going to church all through my life, and I realized I don't believe in Jesus. I don't love him. I could care less about him. It's one of the best things that happened to me because then God moved in and gave me the gift of faith by his promise of the gospel. If you're a believer and, and I really believe I hope most of you uh, just are in a, in a healthy state of, of faith and you receive this as a means of grace, a means of God strengthening, reminding, reminding you to keep on believing, keep on pressing on, fight the fight of faith he's going to keep you all the way to the end and you'll be, pre- be presented holy and blameless it's, 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 it's the it's the warning that's a means of grace to fulfill the promise. If if you run off the sidewalk and into the street, you might get hit by a car. That's, that's a warning. That's a, that's a good thing to stay on the sidewalk. So I hope it lands like this. And, and you know, at the Lord's table, we, we, we do this in various ways. Each, each communion Sunday, examine yourself to see if you're in the faith and and uh, we set it up by saying, if you're, a believer, if you're believing in Jesus, if you are now trusting in Christ alone for the forgiveness of your sins and for the fulfillment of all his promises to you, take the elements. Uh, receive him in faith. I mean, we're doing that, confirming of your faith, pressing you to continue in faith every communion Sunday. And you know, if you say, I believe, Lord, help my unbelief. Take the elements. Take the elements. But if you profess to be a believer and you have really forsaken Christ and you're really living in line with what believers are before they are reconciled, hostile in mind, doing evil deeds, You ought not have confidence in your salvation. And that's the the sharp, pointy edge of this text. If you merely profess Christ, but have no saving faith, have no love for him in your heart, in fact, it doesn't even bother you. this, This text ought to shake you say, you know, that veneer Christianity, Paul wrote these words to crack through with the real gospel, that you might be reconciled and kept forever. And then lastly, this is probably the burden I feel most, that there are, there are believers, real believers, believers, Receive the gift of saving faith, and yet their consciences are raw, and and there's surely there's reasons for that. But they, but resting in the promise of the gospel is very difficult for them, and and, and they they. Look within and they say, No, that's not enough faith and they look at Jesus, he's frowning at me and, and and yet I wanna I wanna I wanna bring you in to to rest in faith. You know, if your thought is maybe I'm not good enough, I wanna say, That's true. That's true. Jesus is good enough. He's the righteous one. We're the recipients of his righteousness and forgiveness. If your thought is, maybe I I don't believe enough, I'd say, um, stop measuring your faith by size. Remember Jesus? Mustard seed faith moves mountains. And uh, childlike faith, saving faith. It's, Rather, rather than, rather than, I want to use the word obsessively. Rather than continue to look here, what about my faith? It feels like, it seems like, that's like, like, am I alive? Like, I'm going to just check my pulse. I, I, I just want to make sure if I'm alive. I mean, there's a there's a torment that comes with that kind of a nagging satanic doubt that comes in. So I say mustard seed faith saves, childlike faith saves, you, know, you know, babies trusting their, their, their mother's arm, resting, faith saves. And then the other thing I'd say is look away. Don't look here. Don't look here. Look to the object of your faith. Look to Jesus as he was described uh, in, in last week's text. Awesome and glorious and sovereign and preeminent and, and supreme and sufficient. And look there and rest. He is faithful and he will do what he says and rest. Let me pray, and then we'll move to the Lord's table. Father in heaven, thank you so much for your word to us and the glories of Christ and his sufficiency for our hope and salvation and satisfaction and joy and keeping. Meet us now at the table. I pray you'd meet us according to your wisdom, with wherever we are. And in particular, I pray for those who have come to you by faith and, and are tormented by doubts and unbelief. I pray that this text and the text about your keeping and your promises and your sovereign grace would give them peace and rest in Christ, the Christ of our salvation. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to this message from Bethlehem Baptist Church in Minneapolis, Minnesota. Feel free to make copies of this message to give to others, but please do not charge for these copies or alter their content in any way without written permission from Bethlehem Baptist Church. For more information, we invite you to visit us online at Bethlehem.church or write us at 720, 13th Avenue South, Minneapolis, Minnesota, 55415. Bethlehem Baptist Church, spreading a passion for the supremacy of God in all things, for the joy of all peoples, through Jesus Christ.